The Disability Report with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this month's edition of The Disability Report. On the show this evening, I'll be chatting as usual with Ari Searles, National Director of the Quad Para Association of South Africa, who own Rolling Inspiration magazine. And he'll be telling us more about George Artman, the wire man. He'll be updating us on Rolling Inspiration's new publishers and their 2015 vision. Stanley Hutchison, founder and director of Stanley Hutchison and Associates, a skills development firm, will be chatting with us about what businesses need to consider before hiring a person with a disability. Sandra Moritz is a member of the Association for Hearing Loss Accessibility and Development, or AHLAD, and she'll be on the line to tell us about the installation of an induction loop system at the Metronome Theatre here in Cape Town, which means that hearing loss is no longer a barrier to attending the theatre. And then I'll be joined by Mr. Justice Zach Yacoub, President of the KZN Blind and Deaf Society, about their national drive to create awareness for their educational campaign. And just a reminder, if you need any information about something you hear on the show this evening, take a look at the Facebook page, Disability on SAFM, or email me directly on disability at safm.co.za. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. The Disability Report with Karen Key. Well, as usual, we start the show chatting with Ari Searles. He's the National Director of the Quad Para Association of South Africa. And this month, he'll be telling us about George Artman, the wire man. He'll be keeping us up to date about Rolling Inspiration's new publishers. And he'll also be talking about their vision for this year. Ari, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Corin, good evening. Um, besides what you've allowed me to talk about this evening, if you could... Indulge me again, just an update on ETOLs later. Oh, always, Ari, always. But I'm fascinated by George Artman. I've been looking at, at what he makes. I mean, the most unbelievable artwork he does with, with bits of wire. Corin, it's always wonderful to bump into a social entrepreneur, especially a person with a disability. And what better place to find him than in Villa Kazi Street, Soweto. Um, a wonderful black paraplegic um, who contacted us and said come and see what I do, and I went down there, and um, he works with wire. He spends two days a month sweeping the streets, looking for old pieces of wire, and he gathers, and people collect for him, and then he's been given a small um, classroom at a, at a school just off Filikazi Street, and he can make almost anything out of wire, an absolutely beautiful work that he does, and um, we're hoping that uh, people can see the visuals. Uh, we'll, we post it on our Facebook and um, see if they can help scale his business. So people up in Gauteng, you're asking them if they have any spare wire or if they'd like to donate some wire to him, they can drop it off somewhere? Yes, well, there's two initiatives that um, you know, we're trying to develop through Quaz, and that is to collect him the wire or certainly get, uh, even if it's new wire, donated. So we're on that initiative, and people are welcome to contact Quaz if they want to make a contribution to uh, you know, his uh, raw material stock. And then the second is, you know, there's no doubt that uh, there must be an international flavor, an international market, an opportunity, you know, for his work, because it's not just your ordinary wire work that um, somebody plays with. This is really good stuff. And so um, uh, we don't want to just have him sitting at a flea market. Um, I think there's a much bigger um, a market for him and a bigger opportunity. So um, anybody got some ideas, please contact us, George Artman. What a talented young man, and uh, I see a great future for this social entrepreneur. 
And they can just get hold of Quasa, and Quasa will be able to give them some idea of yes, what they could do. You know, we can introduce um, introduce you to him. We can show you where you can go and meet him and be inspired. You really need to sit uh, in front of this guy and see what he does with his hands and you know, see the outcome of his talents. So now tell me about the new publishers for Rolling Inspiration. Okay, you know, we've had 63 issues with Word for Word Media, and now we're, we're looking for a change, and so um, we wish them well, and we've contracted new publishers um, for the uh, July-August issue onwards. And, um, you know, I think every magazine on the shelf that you see uh, goes through a number of publishers in its lifetime, and um, this is where we're at now. This, these will be our fourth publishers we've had. Uh, a new vision, you know, looking for... Um, um, you know, a different look and feel, and uh, it's just good to announce to our, our reading public out there, and if people want to know what Rolling Inspiration is, it's a glossy magazine going to 6,000 people, a lifestyle publication for people with mobility impairments. And this is one of the reasons why I have the opportunity to, to give the first five minutes on your show, Karen. It comes out of Rolling Inspiration, where, you know, we give a broad spectrum of motivational, inspirational, and then um, good, solid content from columnists, and then, of course, a product review and a vehicle review, you know, to our readership, and now it's time to um, look at what a new publisher can do for us. Are they still going to be available at pick-and-pay pharmacies, Ari? Yes, we'll use the same uh, network of distributing uh, the magazine, and then, of course, we always like to build our subscriber base you know, because that's very measurable, especially for the advertisers. So, of course, we we hope that we'll enjoy the the, the same good support from advertisers, which um, you know creates the financial model and sustainability for the magazine. But um, you know, a new look and feel um, is always good, and um, trying to develop uh, our our scaling of our magazine so that we expand the readership, not only the subscriber base as well. Now, this 2015 vision you were talking about is that for the magazine or for Quasa? No, you know, Quasar's got its strategic plan, which we've just, um, um, you know, finalised and debated in February, March of this year, and the magazine fits into our strategic plan. But, you know, I think a new look and feel. People always like a little bit of change. Uh, we're getting one or two new columnists on, and um, so we're just obviously looking to make sure that we that we satisfy the appetite of our readers and get more on board. Okay, so it's still going to be available at Pick and Pay Pharmacies and still by subscription at the same email address, risubscriptions at telcomsa.net. No, I think we should um, just um, use the info at quasa.co.za for the meantime until we settle into uh, our you know, newfound communication channels. Okay, so info at quasa.co.za. Okay. So if you're looking to find out more about the magazine, you can use that in the meantime. I'm glad I asked you about that. Otherwise, I was going to give out the wrong email address now. Yes, no, right. for that. And our favorite topic, Ari, e-tolls. Yes, I, you know, I don't know whether it's our favorite or our least favorite well, topic, I was being but sarcastic. it's always very useful mm. you know, to talk to uh, the public people you know, with disabilities out there on your show about an e-toll update. You know, the last time I spoke, we had been advised by Sanwell that there would be an exemption for people with disabilities. Yes. Since then, you know, the deputy president made an announcement talking about the reduction of the cost for uh, non-compliant people um, and uh, writing off of a various percentage of the debt which you might have uh, accrued from not paying your tolls if you haven't subscribed to an e-tag, or even if you do, if you haven't, um, you know, made payment. Um, we just feel that none of this announcement that's been made by the Deputy President has spoken to people with disabilities. 
we were not mentioned at all um, after the consultation. And so I fear that we might again have been lost in this reconfiguration or relook at the opportunity um, that government wants for people to buy into the eToll system. It's not something that people with disabilities can buy into. We still cannot use alternatives. And I encourage people not to be proactive on eTolls and to wait to see what the detail is going to be in the announcement to us by Senral regarding an exemption which they have now promised for people with disabilities. It shouldn't be around a means test. It should be around a human rights um, uh, argument that we have put forward to the right to use roads without paying extra taxes. So um, I don't feel that this announcement has spoken to us. Um, and we, we still have no lesser position on that we feel people with disabilities don't pay your e-tolls. You know, stand up for your rights. Uh, hope, hopefully we can continue the communication with, with Sanrail to have an equitable um, free passageway through the e-toll system. This announcement that been, that's been made shouldn't affect the position that we're in at all. And so the devil lies in the detail. And so let's hear what the details are going to be before you think that there's anything in it for you with the latest announcement. Well, I'm sure we'll get another update. Hopefully next I'm still waiting for the day when you give me all the good news, Ari. Well, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> okay. I think, um, you know, give us another month or two and we'll be there, Corinne. Well, I'll waste with bated breath. I'm sure it will happen. Are you fighting hard enough? I mean, you have to, there has to be some results out of all of this, and I'm sure it will be good. There will be. So we'll look forward to chatting with you again next month. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Ari. Have a good evening. Okay, good night bye-bye. to you. Bye-bye. Yes. Ari Silas is the National Director of the Quad Para Association of South Africa and their own Rolling Inspiration magazine. Now, if you wanted to get your own copy of Rolling Inspiration, they're available at pick-and-pay pharmacies as well as being sold by subscription. And as you heard Ari say there, they've just recently changed publishers. So the email address, if you're wanting to get hold of a copy, is possibly better to email Quasa, and that would be info at Quasa, Q-A-S-A, info at Quasa, .co.za and there's also a website rollinginspiration.co.za and if you need any information from the Quad Para Association if you want to find out more about George Artman and his amazing wire work you can call the Quad Para Association on 0860 rolling or take a look at their website which is quasa qasa if you remember quasa.co.za the disability report with Karen Key Well, when it comes to recruiting people with disabilities, many South African businesses think this is an intimidating exercise best avoided. Well, Stanley Hutchison and Associates, a skills development firm specializing in practical work readiness programs to improve employee performance and organizational effectiveness, has, through years of research, picked up that many companies fall back on the stereotype that employing a person with a disability is a risky and expensive practice. Well, to put our minds right, I am joined this evening by Stanley Hutchison, founder and director of Stanley Stanley Hutchison and Associates. Stanley, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Good evening, Karen. Lovely to be chatting with you again. Now, the last time we spoke, we spoke more about people with disabilities being able to find employment and how they should be going about that. And there was programs and all sorts of information that you gave them. But tonight we're taking a slightly different angle. I mean, looking at the businesses and why they are, in a lot of cases, quite reluctant to even consider the possibility of employing a person with a disability. That is true, Karen, and I think the the first thing that businesses need to consider when looking at a person with a disability is we can't categorize every disabled person as the same. A 
people with disabilities are not a homogeneous group. If you were to line up a, a group of disabled people together, no two of them would have anything in common. Um, so what we first need to do is, is identify in terms of what kind of disabilities we can accommodate in the organization. And from there, uh, my advice to businesses is always to start with taking small steps, um, break that fear for the unknown, break the stereotypes, and be sure that we're taking in people with disabilities that we are equipped to deal with. I mean, and in uh, doing so, I think what we're going to find is we're going to find a really motivated and a really strong workforce because in my experience, once given the opportunities, people with disabilities are, are without generalizing, that much more committed to the organization. Because as you mentioned, I mean, no two people are the same. I mean, you, it can range from physical disabilities to a mental health issue. I mean, there's a number of different conditions that could fall under the umbrella of a person with disability. Absolutely, that is correct, Karen. And you know, the, the first thing is if we, if we talk about preparing an organization for people with disabilities, uh, we always want to start off with conducting a disability audit. Now, that would be very appropriate where there are people with mobility disabilities or, or people who might have sight and hearing disabilities. But for many of the disabilities uh, that people have out there today, there really is nothing that needs to be done within the organization other than, of course, the sensitization of colleagues. Because a lot of the time I think companies think, oh, well, you know, I'm going to have to build ramps and I'm going to have to do this and I'm going to have to do that or move buildings. or, And it's in, I would imagine, 90% or maybe that's too high, but about that amount in my head, you know, of cases, you're not going to have to do much at all. Well, that's been my experience, Karen. We've, we've had so many candidates through our organization who really have needed nothing in particular. Uh, and and I'd, in, I'd extend that to include certain blind candidates and uh, deaf candidates. Uh, on one of our recent programs, we had a, a blind lady who by day two or three was able to make her way to work without any assistance, was able to make her way around the organization and the business without any assistance. And quite frankly, when you see her computer skills, um, considering that she uses a software application called JAWS, she is as good as the computer as any other person that we would have there. So we, we mustn't allow our perceptions of what a disabled person is capable of to stand in the way of their ability to prove to us what they're capable of. Now, I've read some information that's come from you where you talk about a few key considerations to check before a company recruits a person with a disability. Would you like to just go through some of those? Absolutely. The first thing I think is we need to understand what it means to be disabled and, and not stereotype the term. Now, Karen, I'm a businessman, and I'm sure many businesses would, would want to embark on this for, for good business reasons. So the first thing an organization needs to do is familiarize themselves with the uh, de definition of a disability in terms of the Employment Equity Act, and that is a person who has a long-term or recurring, the first criteria, physical or mental impairment, the second criteria, and thirdly, which substantially limits their prospects of entry into or advancement in employment. So if we know someone meets those criteria, there are so many benefits that an organization can gain from recruiting a, a person with a disability. The, the very next thing that I would do is I would go on a process of desensitizing, or shall I say sensitizing, the workplace to working with people with disabilities. And here we conduct workshops. Um, I know many other organizations too. But as a, as a small anecdote, I always start off my workshop by saying, I feel like a bit of a fraud standing here. 
because it's like explaining to you how we deal with a person with blue eyes or a person with red hair in an organization. You know, in many cases, the disability is that insignificant in terms of how the person does the job that it needs no special um, arrangements whatsoever. And we spoke about this the last time as well, but there are financial incentives to the company as well. Corinne, there are. Um, there's, there's a variety of incentives, particularly if you're complying with BEE legislation and if you're complying with the skills development legislation. If I can, if I can mention one or two. Mm. Um, firstly, from a point of view of in recruiting a, a learner who is disabled, there is a SARS rebate on your income tax of 50,000 Rand on commencement of the learnership and a further 50,000 Rand on completion of the learnership. So that's an income tax rebate of 100,000 Rand. For, one, for that, one learner? One learner. Okay. One learner. Let's add to that the CETA grants. Now, the CETA grants vary and differ between CETAs, but 30,000 would be a typical figure um, for a CETA to pay someone an organization who's recruiting a person who has a disability onto a learnership. Then, of course, there's also the Department of Labor um, Youth Employment Grant. So if that person qualifies as, as a youth, there's a further income tax rebate. And, of course, your learner's payroll is, is your learner's salary is exempt from um, PAYE. And also, I mean, but at this point, they're pretty much paying the salary of the, of the, of the employee. Well, I have clients who make a profit by employing well, people with sure. disabilities, Karen. <laughs> not, not, not only are they being paid to hire these people, but these people are doing outstanding jobs and on completion of the learnership programs are, in most cases, being hired onto the permanent staff. So there are so many incentives that, if, from a business point of view, it only makes sense. You're getting a, a highly skilled, you're getting a highly committed and motivated resource that's being paid for by someone else. It's it makes almost, perfect business sense. It's, it sort of almost sounds like, why aren't people, more people doing this then? Well, that is, that is a jolly good question, Karen. And if we have a look at the new BEE codes as well, um, if, if an organization is, is going to be struggling to, to maintain their current level, one of what, what I believe is possibly the easiest ways to maintain your current level in BEE, or perhaps even move up a level, is using the skills development, that's the 300 codes, and hiring disabled people onto learnerships. There are substantial BEE benefits uh, to be had there as well. Now the, it, it really makes business sense. Well, absolutely. As I keep saying, I don't know why more people aren't doing this now. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the other thing as well, though, Stanley, you, you run workshops, and one of the ones, I'm sh do you run the one on how sensitive are you really? That is actually research that we've conducted, okay, Karen, in terms of, it's, I'd, I wouldn't like to say it is statistically um, representative of the entire population, but what we have done is we have conducted research amongst our clients and amongst the learners that have come from our programs. And that, that information would be available, and I'd be, I'd be glad to share it with, with anyone who's, who's interested in, in that information. Um, but it is, it is quite interesting to see what people's understanding and, and belief is towards people with disability. And then on the other hand, when you talk to one of the people with disabilities from our program, they don't find that they're in any way different from anyone else. I was about to say you and me, Corin, but 
we're different. Yeah. And people don't generally know that, I suppose. Well, you know, I think a lot of it is possibly just fear of the unknown. I mean, people, you don't, yes. you know, it's what you don't know. It's, it's a lack of education, I think, a lot of the time. And, you know, a lot of the time you, you've you never, ever come into contact with anybody with a disability. And so if you're suddenly in the workplace and you, it's almost as if you're feeling uncomfortable now and you don't quite know how to deal with it yourself. I think that's true, Karen. And, and most often when one does come into contact with a person with a disability, it's a disability that is visually evident. So the person might use a wheelchair for mobility or the person might be blind or the person might be deaf. And we start stereotyping and think that all disabled people would would tend to have all of those uh, limitations. And clearly that's not the case. I think people might find that within their organizations there are already a number of people who may have a disability that have actually chosen not to disclose it because they feel the organization is not ready to accept them as a person with a disability. And those, I've, I've dealt with a lot of cases on, this, on the phone-in shows I do here on, with people yes. with mental health problems and who say they will not disclose it because there will, there will be something, there will be repercussions at work and they don't want to you know, let anybody know. And I actually find that quite sad. It is quite sad, and there's, there's a great fear that that, that might happen, Corin. Mean, in fact, I think it should be exactly the opposite. Mm. Um, Organisations have, have well learned to accommodate working parents, um, people during maternity or, or, or family requirements, and why not should we also accommodate people who have a mental health disability who, who might require slightly different working circumstances or less pressure from time to time? given that they're going to be able to perform better at other times. And the, the, I must just tell you about a rather unusual interview that I did um, on the show a mm. couple of months back. And when I mentioned it to a few people before I did it, they all sort of said to me, how on earth are you going to do that? I did a radio interview with a person who is profoundly deaf. And it was a, tele- right. a telephone, but it was a telephonic interview, which just made it even worse. And <clears throat> they said, how on earth are you going to do that? Well, how we did it was I spoke on the phone to a sign language interpreter who was interpreting as I was speaking, obviously, and yeah. then was replying back. There was a very short break in the conversation, a couple of seconds, and she would then respond with a reply from the person I was actually speaking to through her. And it worked incredibly well. And a lot of people were quite amazed that you could have done that. And I said, well, you know, you, you don't know until you try. And for me, that was possibly one of the most exciting things I've done in a long time was that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, Karen, there's also assistive devices, the, the TTY device that can enhance um, audio, audio signals for a, for a deaf person. Um, the other thing that I, I need to mention is, sadly, many of the people with disabilities that I come across are at the poorer end of our population. And their disability may even be treatable with things like cochlear implants or something like that. But because of their socioeconomic standards, um, they're unable to receive that kind of treatment. So it actually could be a cycle whereby mm. this person could, could become employed. They could receive the treatment that could improve their, their quality of working life overall, and it could be good for everyone around. But we have to break the cycle organizations have to become disability confident and say, I'm going to hire the best person for the job. And that best person may in fact be a person with a disability. We need to recognize that. 
Absolutely. And if you want to dangle the carrot of all the financial incentives, you know, if that's how we're going to get them to start, yeah. then maybe it's, I don't like that sort of thing. But if that's how you're going to get them to start this and then for themselves to discover that this really was a great idea in the first place, um, you know, it's a good way to get them started, if you like. Quite so. I, I certainly, I, look, I agree with you. I, I, one shouldn't need to, to mm. bribe people to, to take people into an organization. But I do think the incentives are, are there to achieve uh, a, a national problem we have, and that is that companies are reluctant to hire people with disabilities. Uh, you know, Corin, over 68% of people with disabilities, according to a survey from the University of Johannesburg, have never even applied for a job. And that is because of the stigma that, that is attached mm. to being a person with a disability in an organization. We need to break that cycle. We need organizations to go out there and say, I will look for a person who is a person with a disability that also happens to be the best candidate for this job, and I'm going to hire them. The and that's all it takes. It takes one or two people, and then we, we will have broken that cycle. Now, the last time we spoke, we were, you mentioned to me that you were running courses for people with disabilities or some sort of internships. What, 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 I cannot for the life of me now remember exactly, and I do apologize. What exactly were we talking about the last time you were on? No trouble at all, Karen. It's, it's learnerships. Right. And the That's reason right. that we're doing learnerships is specifically because we want to help organizations actually financially break this barrier. So using the learnership model, um, we're able to help organizations achieve BEE targets. We're able to help them achieve skills development targets. And we're able to do that at a negligible or, in fact, a, a negative cost, if I can use that word. So our learnerships are, are aimed mainly towards the corporate world. So our ownership, learnerships are, are aimed at entry-level administrative people and supervisory uh, entry-level management people. Are you, still, and are you still taking people that are interested in doing the learnerships? All of the time, Karen. All of the time. So they can contact, um, well, they can contact me and I'll just pass them on if, if yeah. anyone's interested. There's, there's a variety of models. I, I know, and this is not a conversation for, for your show, but so many organizations, as, as fearful as they are of disability, they're also fearful of learnerships. Uh, we've managed to take the, the pain out of that, if, if I can use that word. We would manage the entire process for the organization. All they would be required to do is provide the practical workplace experience, which would be done during the day-to-day -day course of employment. And at the end of 12 months, you would have a, a highly skilled and talented, committed and motivated person working in your organization who sees a lifelong career there, who incidentally may also be a person with a disability. Well, you couldn't make it any easier than that, could you? No. Really? <laughs> it, it, it is actually so straightforward, Corin. People just need to... It's, it's the fear of the unknown. It's the stereotypes we need to break. There are tools to do the job, um, and there are processes that can be followed, and we can make it simple for any organization wishing to embark on this process. Well, I'll give out the email, or well, the website address and everything else, and if people are interested, they can get in touch with us, and uh, we'll pass them on to you, and maybe you can start getting them on the right road, which I think would be a good thing. Stanley, once Fabulous. again, thank you so very much for your time and for chatting with me this evening. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again, Karen, and it's a great pleasure to chat with you. We'll chat again soon, I'm sure. Good night.
Good night, Bye-bye. Stanley Hutchison is the founder and director of Stanley Hutchison and Associates. Now, if you'd like to find out more about the learnership programs, they run for people with disabilities. If you'd like to get involved, if you'd just like to find out more information, or if you're a company that would like to find out more, there is a website. It's sh-a.co.za, or you can just drop me a mail to disability at safm.co.za, and I'll pass you on to Stanley, and you can... Start looking for towards a brighter future, both for the company and for yourself. The Disability Report with Karen Key. Well, Capetonians with a hearing loss can now enjoy theatre events to the full, thanks to the installation of an induction loop system at the Metronome Theatre in Belleville. This system supports someone who uses technology like a loop receiver or hearing aids with a telecoil function to hear sounds induced directly into these devices, bringing them the clearest sound possible. Well, to tell us more, I'm joined this evening by Sandra Maritz, and she's a member of the Association for Hearing Loss Accessibility and Development, otherwise known as AHLAD. Sandra, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, Karen. Thank you. Now, you're going to have to explain what this is to me because I read all of that and I'm not quite sure what it was I was saying. Please explain how this all works. Okay. A loop system is like the latest in technology that allows somebody that uses a hearing aid to make better access of information in a certain venue. So let's say um, somebody's in a church and there's a loop system the loop system is like the landline wire. It looks like that, that is put around the room. And if somebody with a hearing aid sits in that magnetic field that is there, then he can have clearer sound in just to his hearing aid. So, for instance, if there would be lots of traffic outside of the venue, that noise would be cut out. The person sitting there would not hear um Things like dogs barking and so forth. So these the people have to actually have some sort of a hearing aid on to be able to use the system? Yes. Okay. So they have the hearing aid or, or a loop receiver. Is that similar yes. kind of thing to a hearing aid? Um, yes. It's a assistive device that some people who don't, do, do not have hearing aids use. Okay. And then the venue itself has to then be wired for sound effectively? Yes. Now, how many, I mean, I know I've just mentioned the Metronome Theatre in Belleville is, has been wired. Is any other buildings or any more coming online soon? Um, yes, we know of a few that already have loop systems. Um, another one in the Western Cape is the Adelibitas Theatre in Stellenbosch. But, um, yeah, not that we are busy with um, supporting the organisation at the moment. Now, how expensive would this be for someone to do this or for a building or a theatre or whatever it is to install one of these things? Is it affordable for them to do this or is it sort of out of the realm of affordability, which is why there aren't that many of them yet? I think that it is affordable depending on the um, the surface that you want to cover with the oh. loop because it is possible to not loop a whole hall but just a few seats in there. Oh, that actually, that makes a lot more sense than if it is a financially prohibitive situation. They could just do a certain area and then they could, you know, wouldn't cost them quite so much to do that. Yes. So the, the Association for Hearing Loss Accessibility and Development, how new is that? We've been around a couple of years, but we um, do a lot of work to empower people about the barriers to access that there is. So... We work with people with hearing loss, but also with companies and theatres to um, raise the importance 
of them becoming accessible because there are so many people with hearing loss out there. Um, it's estimated about 5.5 million people. And so many, so the few people realize that in your everyday life, your clients, many of them have hearing loss and can benefit from things like loop system. Now, the association has uh, recently partnered with the National Council for Persons with Physical Disabilities here in South Africa. Yes, we um, we are partnering with them. They've been around for about 75 years, so they know all the ins and outs regarding the legislation. So they are giving us a bit of guidance in getting our feet and to take direction. I think it's a wonderful, it's sort of new, it's a new thing I would imagine here in South Africa. It hasn't been here all that long. Is it being sort of put to really good use outside of the country? Has that, it been brought in from overseas somewhere? Yes, overseas uh, loop systems are a lot more common than they are here at the moment. I think the challenge is that persons with hearing loss themselves are not aware of the fact that there is technology like this that can assist them. So we play a big role in just raising the level of awareness on what is available and what they can ask for. Now, I know it was launched, if you like, I think, at, at the Yanni Toy concert um, at the Metronome Theatre. Now, that would be music, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and you've got a, a show coming up soon. There's going to be a, a theatre piece at the Metronome in June. I think on the 7th of June is going to be officially launched. Now, does this cover any kind of production? Does it matter if it's music or speech or whatever, or is it one better than the other to get the, the best sound from this thing? Oh, um Yes, the loop supports you in hearing both speech and um, sound like music, um, but a few people will have, um, let me say this, in generally your hearing aids are um, tuned to be optimally functioning in a conversation type of setting. Mm. But um, yes, they can definitely, music, speech, Yes, the loop supports you in the general sense in, with the communication. And casual day coming up, and um, what is your involvement with that? Um, we sell casual day stickers, and um, a portion of the money um, gets filtered back to us as an organisation. And how big is this association? Is it just based on here in Cape Town? Is it national at the moment? We have members across the country, um, sporadic, but we're trying to get up more um, coordinators in different provinces so that the information that we have can be disseminated um, across the country. But we definitely need more members. Now, I mentioned it's called the Association for Hearing Loss Accessibility and Development, and I'm sure your own, your one and only project isn't the loop system. What else are you involved with? We are doing a lot of work to raise awareness about the needs that we there is for access to emergency um, services. For instance, um, just the other day, a friend of mine's daughter had a flat tire and she can communicate via English, but she can only recognize her mom's voice, for example, on the phone. So she couldn't make direct contact with her own service provider. She had to call her mom and her mom then had to call the company. So it was this back and forth. And in that, a lot of time... Um, was spent with that process. So you can only imagine how it would be if you are stuck on the road at night. In a, it can be possibly a dangerous situation. So we are lobbying for emergency services to become better accessible. Um, you know, it could be something very um, simple like a dedicated SMS line. Mm. 
So you know, teaching services are one of them, and then um, we also try to lobby for organisations to get more training on hearing loss, so that they understand their clients and also that their staff that has hearing loss. The thing, though. Um Sandra, as well, is that a lot of people think, well, people that have hearing loss communicate by sign language, but the majority of people still communicate by speech. Yes, absolutely. You know, um, it's like sign language is another language, so it only benefits you in using it if you are around other people using it. But for many of South Africans, they don't live in a community where sign language is used on a daily basis. So when you do um, get your hearing loss, you go on living in the town where you always lived, speaking to the people you always spoke to. So um, spoken languages continue to be your main mode of communication. So it's a very big difference between, you know, people, as I said, think that you only communicate with sign language, but that isn't the case at all. Yeah, not, not at all. And what other projects have you got in the pipeline, Sandra? Um, we are also looking, we, um, we do a kind of a watchdog function where we look at policies coming through that impact on people with hearing loss. Um, just the other day we had a look at a ICASA document um, that they wanted to give through to government for approval, but um, it was open for public comment and we could see to it that they understood the importance of, let's say, subtitles, for instance. Mm. Because for so many people with hearing loss, being able to access information via the television with subtitles is so important. And, you know, um, there are days like um, um, just a bit earlier this year, the sauna was on the TV, and nobody had access via subtitles. So there's a big chunk of society that is being marginalized when that is not available. That's something I hadn't really thought about that very much. And I, I see exactly what you mean. I mean. Really important things, people are missing out. Yes. And to get people on board to, I mean, how difficult would it be to to have that as a regular feature, is, is, you know, subtitles? It wouldn't be too much of a of a thing. And what sort of reaction are you getting back? Um, well, we've received some formal letters that say, thank you for your complaint. Um, just today, we've actually received one from the South African Human Rights Commission acknowledging our complaint and saying that they will take the matter further. So we are waiting for um, your progress on that side. But um, from the community of people with hearing loss, we've received uh, tremendous support. Um, people are really realizing every day the fact just how they have been excluded. Well, you're obviously doing a very good job. And, you know, we need people like yourselves and the organization to fight for the rights of people, as you say, who are being marginalized. So well done on all the work that you're doing. And I think this new loop system sounds absolutely incredible. And hopefully lots, lots more entertainment venues will consider installing it. I think it'll be a marvelous um, addition. Yes, absolutely. If people need more information, they are welcome to contact us. Can I? Is there just the website address, uh, Sandra, or is there a phone number? What else would you like to give out for them? Um you can give me a call. Um, my number is 073-074-3043. Okay, I'll give out that number again if people are interested in getting involved or finding out more information. And as you said, you're looking for more members across the country. So if anybody's interested in getting involved, they can contact you for that as well? Yes. 
That's great. Sandra, well, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the show and for explaining all that. Because I was, as I said in the beginning, I was reading it all out, but I wasn't sure what it was I was saying to you. But thank you very much for explaining all of that so well and uh, for telling us a little bit about the association. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Karen. Thanks. Good night to you. Bye-bye. Good night. Sandra Moritz is a member of the Association for Hearing Loss Accessibility and Development, or AHLAD. Now, for more information, there is a website. It's www.ahlad.org, or you can call Sandra on 073-074-3043. And if you've missed any of that information, it will be on the Facebook page, Disability on SAFM or just email me at disability at safm.co.za. The Disability Report with Karen Key. The KZN Blind and Deaf Society opened its doors in Durban in 1936. Now, initially, it was established to provide services to the blind and partially sighted, but during the 1960s, it extended its work to deaf persons. Currently, they're busy with a national drive to create awareness for their educational campaign. And to tell us more, I'm joined now by Mr. Justice Zach Yacoub, President of the KZN Blind and Deaf Society. Mr. Yacoub, good evening. Welcome to the show. Um, good evening. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. So the KZN Blind and Deaf Society, gosh, it's been around for an awfully long time. been around for a long time, but just to put it into its historical context, we were in the apartheid days an Indian Blind Society, and then we were an Indian Blind and Deaf Society. But after 1994, we became a Blind and Deaf Society catering for everyone after apartheid went away. So that now, although we started as an Indian one, uh, 90-odd percent of our clients and the people who we deliver service to are African people. So that's the history. It started in those days of apartheid. And still going strong? Still going strong as a much wider organization now, rendering service to a broader range of people and building on our foundations of the past, yes. This, the thing, though, now is that the people you're dealing with, unfortunately, are from from really disadvantaged uh, backgrounds, most of them, I think, that you're dealing with, which makes your job even harder. Much, much harder. So what we do, for example, I mean, there, there are two kinds of deaf people which was distinguished between those who can benefit from hearing aids and uh, that sort of thing, and those who are so profoundly deaf that they cannot unless they have cochlear implants and so on. So for those who, who, who require hearing aids, we now offer audiological services at the society, free of charge. We have arrangements with some hearing aid companies, and we have arrangements with ENT surgeons. So that happens in our society once a week, where clients are seen from schools and various other places, free of charge, for assessment and for the provision of hearing aids. And we have an arrangement for the Albert Rutuli Hospital to do uh, other things. And then as far as the profoundly deaf are concerned, the problem is a little different because hearing aids won't help you. And there, there is a great problem because 30, 40 years ago, the thinking internationally and in South Africa was that sign language is bad, even for those who are profoundly deaf, that for them to communicate with uh, hearing people, they must learn um, to lip read. But profoundly deaf people are more comfortable 
and this is understood now, to um, not to lip read, but to talk in sign language. So we believe strongly that it is not for the people who are profoundly deaf to go through the trouble of lip reading to communicate with others, but really it is for the people who can hear to learn sign language to communicate with others. So we started more recently, a year and a half ago, a talk sign campaign where we encourage everyone to talk to sign. We have a campaign that goes on through the year. We offer now public every Saturday at our offices free training in sign language. We've offered sign language training all over the place. We've gone to police stations. We've gone to hospitals and so on to ensure that more and more people learn sign language. So even if you, for example, could say, hello, how are you, how are things, it would take you five minutes to learn that, and you practice it a little, and when you see a deaf, absolutely, totally deaf person living in silence, you could just make a couple of signs and make that person feel happy in society. So while we agree that hearing aids and so on are important, it is nonsensical to expect the profoundly deaf to learn to lip read. It is those of us who can hear who should learn to sign to make their lives more comfortable in this world. Now, you mentioned there, you mentioned going off to the police station to go and do classes there. Now, that's something that actually concerns me. What if somebody needs to report something and there's nobody well, there that can actually help them? I mean, that's, that's awful. It's a campaign which we've started. We've, got, we've started negotiations with the police in this matter. And we're hoping that very soon in KwaZulu-Natal, at any rate, we'll be able to get the police to, do, to, to ensure that sign language, people are trained in sign language, not only police. I mean, people from hospitals telephone us yes. to say, can you provide us with an interpreter? We have very limited resources. We've tried to help from time to time. But really, all these public places hospitals, police stations, government departments. You remember the saga at Madiba's funeral? That yes. was quite a saga because yes. people didn't know sign language. And therefore, if we really want to communicate the profoundly deaf world and really treat them like human beings, we should all take advantage of an opportunity to learn sign language so even if we can communicate a little bit with them. You know what I really like about what you've been saying is that you've actually turned this whole concept on its head because up until now, people would always say, well, you know, people must learn to lip read or they must try and understand what I'm saying. But I like the concept was was turned on its head in the theoretical thinking 30 years ago. But it hasn't been. Now, yeah. It hasn't been, it hasn't done anything. I mean, I like the fact that you want people like us who can hear to make yeah. that effort and to now start learning to sign because up until now it's always been the other way around. And I really think Absolutely. we need to, to get this moving because if you say it's been around for 30 years, I mean, why aren't we doing it now? Well, no, that's because you need resources to have mm. a campaign. You need money to run a campaign. We've been, for example, we've been running on a shoestring, shoestring budget all the time. But now we've, we, we've decided to, to do it. And we are doing it. We've had lots of advertisements and so on. And the campaign is going extremely well. But that's only part of it. The other part of the campaign is for us to ensure that profoundly deaf people get employment. Yes. So once, and there too, there is the thing about ensuring that the employers and the people at work 
learn sign language and so on, which we do. There was an article in the Mail and Guardian recently about the Belpaca Hotel. They are training profoundly deaf uh, chefs and waitrons, and they taught all their staff sign language, and that's going very well. So what we've got to do really is work amongst the public. And it's a long-term thing. We started it, started it a year ago. And if I'm still alive in 20 years' time, I hope that we will be able to say, in the last 20 years, we've solved 30% of the problem. It's a long-term thing. It's not easy, but we've got to do it. Well, there is a hotel here in Cape Town where I think it's about 50% of their staff are profoundly deaf. And it's the most remarkable organization, apparently, to work for. And everybody that works there and the guests are all as happy as anything. They think it all works extremely yeah. well. So, I mean, it's a, it's a model that's working. So, you know, that's a shining example that these things can be a positive, um, you know, they can be positive comes out of it. And then there's another very interesting thing. There's a cross-disability thing. Because remember that we cater for blind and, yeah, and uh, deaf. Yes. And deaf. So can you imagine a deaf person trying to communicate with a blind person? Yes. I'm blind myself. So we develop our ways and means of doing so, and we ensure that deaf people are comfortable. They can't communicate back, but there are always ways of doing it. And quite often we get, we get and this is quite fascinating, we get blind and deaf people to work together so that the deaf people can do things for which sight is essential. And the blind people can do that part of the work for which sight is not essential. And it works reasonably well for us. Now, you have a work center where you, you have art classes and all sorts of things as well, and you wanting corporates to make use of the services there. We're, working co- we're, making, we're wanting corporates to make use of the services. We are running, I mean, I mean, at the moment, it's a very small organization. We need five times the amount of money we just about managed to scrape to do our work. Our budget is, um, is around $8 million a year. Wow. And, 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 and we employ lots of people to do all kinds of work, but we still, we are very much still scratching the surface. Money is hard to come by, as you know, and, uh, and every month we, we scramble to find the money to pay salaries. It's like that. And that's because people don't get money as easily as possible. So for all the corporate people who are listening, it is not enough to just to feel sorry and to cry a little every evening. We need to understand that the rendering of services, effective services to people, requires money. And, and you know, look at sign language. That has to be done on a person-to-person basis or one person to six or something like that, you know? Mm. And if you go into, how long will it take if you do six people a week to cover 100,000 people <laughs> with one sign language person, et cetera, et cetera. We should get to the uh, point where you're teaching six and they to each teaching another six, you know, and so spread, spread it out like that. That would be and ideal. We can get to that and we could organize that. But you are right. Money is absolutely essential in the scheme of things. But we are determined that we're going to do a great deal. But, but remember, we've turned the thing on its head, but we are not ignoring the other side of the coin. We do have audiological services for those who require hearing aids, and we have a program where hopefully soon everybody who is indigent and requires a hearing aid will be able to get it for nothing. You're also running an educational campaign to teach people to read and write. 
Uh, yes, we do, but that, 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 that educational, well, we offer computer training facilities to blind and deaf people. We are beginning to offer CCTV monitoring facility training to deaf people because we find that however profoundly deaf you are, the CCTV monitoring job is something they could do quite nicely. So mm. that's an area we, where we're going to look for, for jobs for people. Uh, profoundly deaf people make very good drivers um, and do it very well. I am driven by a profoundly deaf person in the society very often, and it works extremely nicely. So there are loads of things that people can do. And unless, they, unless we can persuade our society to give them an opportunity and to ensure that they're able to work, they will remain objects of sympathy. So our objective is to ensure that, uh, like me, both all blind and deaf people are able to live lives of dignity side by side with their seeing counterparts not the, and hearing counterparts, not, not alone somewhere quietly, not in, quietly in their home, but they must be able to participate fully in the social construct. And if we can't get there, then we're wasting our time. But we will get there. And if people are wanting to get involved or to offer any sort of assistance, what is the best way to do that? Can they have a look at your website, all the contact details on there, or what would you suggest? Yes, they can have a look at the website. All the contact, contact details are there. Um, I am very bad about detail, but let me give you a phone number, 31 309 and they can get the website details. I've got the website. It's um, blindanddeafsocietykzn.co.za. Ah, okay, I'll, right. I'll give it so out they again. Can, they, can, they can get onto the web- website and they can let us know what they want to do and how, how they want to help us. It, it's, about, it's about employment. It's about coming to, uh, to learn sign language. It's about becoming part of the campaign. It's about giving us money. It's about helping us to administer things and so on and so on. So ultimately, I mean, everyone comes to the party to the extent to which they can. And if corporates want us to come to them and to talk to them about what we do and what they can do, we can start the conversation. I should put you in touch with one of my earlier guests that was on the show, a man called Stanley Hutchison from Stanley Hutchison and Associates, and they work in the field of disability employment, and he works with disabled people, people with disabilities, as far as learnerships are concerned, and they train yes, them. I, and Do you know Stanley yes, Hutchison? I know about that, yeah. I you, know about that well. You know about that? Because, yeah, but it, that's more uh, centralizing. The biggest problem is, 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 is really persuading people to employ Yes, well, and that's what he does. Make sure that you can do it. And everybody, and, and, and I know about that. It's a very, very good enterprise. Um, but again, it's another small one like ours. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's so much to do there. But, um, there's so much to do. Mr. Justice yeah. Zakia Coop, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the show and enlightening us a little bit about what goes on in KZN at the Blind and Deaf Society. And hopefully people will be inspired to come and assist you. But thank you very much indeed for your time this evening. Thank you very, very much for giving us the opportunity. Only a pleasure. Good night to you. Thank you.
Mr Justice Zach Yacoub is president of the KZN Blind and Deaf Society and for more information on the work they do or if you'd like to get involved or offer any assistance take a look at the website it's www.blindanddeafsocietykzn.co.za Well that's it for the Disability Report next Tuesday the 9th of June I'll be back with our monthly phone-in and we'll talk. be talking about men's health Well if you need any information about something you've heard on the show this evening take a look at the Facebook page Disability on SAFM or email me on disability at safm.co.za. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me. But right now it's time for Stephen Kirker and some late night music. Hello, Stephen.